Hi, I'm Rory Nicol and I'm playing uh, Charles Trevelyan and William Connor in In the Midst of Plenty. Hiya, I'm uh, Connor O'Kane and I'm playing two parts. I'm playing Henry Packenham and uh, Andrew Connor. My name is Blonna Daly and I play Grace Mahan and Nancy Duffy. My name is Mary Claire Ryan and I play Mary Duffy. and welcome to Emerald Roots, official podcast of the Irish Family History Centre and the place to find great chats on all things Irish, family and history. I'm Caitlin Bain and this podcast is for anyone who's ever wondered, am I Irish? What does Guinness really taste like? Who's your one? I'm here with Fiona and Kaylee, as per usual. Say hi, hi guys. Hello. So like we said last week, we are here in Strokestown. Yes, so uh, here in Strokestown, which is the start of the National Famine Way, and we are at the end of the National Famine Way, the CHQ in Dublin, so I think a, an important place for us to record this podcast, along with it being, of course, the setting of this amazing play. You didn't so. need to do the jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> Last episode, we spoke to the band, we spoke to Amy, who's the writer and composer of In the Midst of Plenty, And today you're going to hear us talking to Anne-Marie, who is the director of the play, and she is the founder of the theatre production company Enchanted Cree, who are putting the play on. Hmm. Yeah, this is... I think you'll really enjoy this part of the interview because last episode you got to hear from the band, you got to hear a little bit about the music and the writing side of things, and now you'll get to hear a bit more about the creative decisions and how the collaboration came together and a little... Which is a great story in itself. Oh, it's fantastic. We, um, won't, we won't spoil it for you, yeah. but... <laughs> the direction is the creative overview. Yeah. Ooh. That brings the whole experience together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think Anne-Marie has done a brilliant job on this. Yeah. And I think you'll enjoy, which uh, you'll hear a little bit about in this episode, how Anne-Marie and Amy and the team brought in some of the original documents and the original information from Strokestown mm-hmm. into the play because this is not a, a fictional story. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's partially fictional, but it's based on real life. And I think that might be something that you guys might be interested in. So yes. enjoy. Exactly. From their mouths to your ears. Or whatever the saying is. <laughs> it took me a long time to realise that I'm a third culture person, mm-hmm. which is like, I have elements of me that are English, I suppose, and there's elements of me that are very Irish. And it's like, I'm somewhere in between. My cultural identity isn't so clearly defined, especially for the fact that I've lived in four countries, but my early life... I was raised by my Irish grandparents, so that was very formative for me. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, this idea of what the actual real story of the Irish is in terms of displacement and being removed from your own culture or being in a culture that also doesn't accept you, because, I mean, my family certainly would have experienced a lot of racism, a lot of violence, and living in segregated states that were just for Irish people outside of London. Mm-hmm. So there was a toughness. And I think that this particular play has given me context for my own life. And it's also given me drive because, I suppose, seeing modern-day situations of the same story being recycled. Like, I was living in Greece at the time where the Syrian refugees were coming over. 
and I was going in the early mornings to give bread and juice to the Syrian refugees at the ports. Every morning we would see this influx of people running and they were running because Greece was experiencing the economic crisis at the time and they were running to get to the border to Germany where there was more affluent. And that's never going to leave me. I was standing there and it was a cold day and I saw this woman and she was shivering and I took my gloves off and I gave them to her because I didn't have anything else to give her. Like my whole body went cold. And that was 2016, the January of 2016. That's not very long ago. But now what are we seeing here in Ireland? We're seeing the same story. And of course, like, I've never been able to connect to this story partly because I have got one foot in one culture and one in the other. Like, I find it overwhelming. Perhaps I don't even really want to speak about it in my own accent. Mm -hmm. Like, because this accent, I don't know if it really represents me. Um, and in the way that the musical has taken the archive and Amy, as a composer, has created these beautiful melodies and human stories that you can connect to, has made me understand my own culture and my own place in that story. But more importantly, it has opened out my understanding of where Irish displacement is across the world. And I feel very dedicated to this, to our responsibility as creative people to bring light to something that is very painful. Mm. And this production has been immense. It's bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. And I think what it does, it kind of taps into a main artery of mm. Irish history wounds. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can hear in the audience, when the intermission happens after the song you just listened in the winds mm. of winter, you can actually hear the audience sobbing and, I, and we completely understand that. Yeah. I talking to some of the cast members about the the gravity of everything and how we have to connect to what level of degradation and what level of desperation was around like mm. so there's little points in the way that I've directed it that there are moments that you could quite easily miss but there there are references to all kinds of meaningful symbols and points within this whole story that I think are important. So, for instance, mm. there's a new art piece that we're going to be having in the set, which is made by a Ukrainian artist mm -hmm. who's called Alia. And for that, she turns old things into new things. And there's this piece which is made from famine ashes that were from an excavated dig mm -hmm. from a friend of mine, John Levy, who was doing excavations in this area in Strokestown, not far from here. And those ashes were actually taken from a hearth, which... We understand that significance, so like, in terms of, that would be the heart of an Irish mm. family, telling stories, being worn by the fire, and where everyone would meet. A journalist at the time in 1847 had described, after the evictions, after the mass evictions, that across the hillsides, that he could see a scattering of sparkling embers in the ditches. Mm -hmm. And these were the dying out flames of a family's hearth, like, essentially the heartbeat yeah. of a family home, completely obliterated. Mm. And the more research that I do and the more connected I get to this piece, 
I can see how we can just bring the gravity of it, but also make it bearable, you yes. know, because I didn't want to make anything gory. I'm really not a big fan of, you know, stage blood or anything like yeah. this. So this is an artistic response to that trauma. Yeah. And it's done in a very respectful and considered way. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone in the cast has tried in our small way to pay homage to those that were lost, to those that weren't even named. Yeah. Like on the shawl of Mary in the Winds of Winter, the, the, the song, the last time you see that character, before she's about to board the coffin ships, mm -hmm. you see the names of the tenants that would have been listed on the landlord's estate here. Yeah. And all of the names are in a long list, which is just seeing that on its own is very moving. Mm -hmm. But within the spaces between the names, because all the names would have been male names, they didn't mm -hmm. name the women, we symbolically wrote the characters of the women. We don't know the names of the women, yeah. unless they were widows. Like, for instance, yeah. we have the petition of Widow Kilmartin, which Amy has put that petition to music, and it's a beautiful, moving song. Yeah. I mean, there's so many amazing songs in this, but in terms of this piece of theatre, for me, it is a space for there to be moments of respect and remembrance, yeah. as well as it also being a very real human story mm -hmm. and a piece of theater, you know? Yeah. Like, we have all the things that you have in a big show, beautiful lights, mm. beautiful costumes, and incredible musicians and actors, mm -hmm. but the story is the heart of the thing, and that's what carries yeah. all of this talent through, and we're just, we walk our way through all of the sequences that led up to so many people having to leave Ireland. Yeah. And there's so many details within all of that that got swallowed in the education system. Yeah. Like, I learned about potato blight at school, yeah. and my nan was from Connemara. Yeah. And I said to her, well, I don't understand this potato blight thing. Like, why didn't people just eat from the trees or the fish? Mm -hmm. and, and she would never talk about it. Like, she'd just tell me off, kind of like, shut up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't spoken about. But I think 175 years later, we can talk about this, and it's very relevant. And I think also, certainly working alongside Ukrainian artists for the set design, it's been meaningful to bring people that are living through the same situation. Yeah. And also, I think that Irish culture hasn't had a space to really properly acknowledge all of that, because a part of survival and getting on is going to, you have to get on. You don't sit and process, yeah. you just continue. But this musical helps audiences process some of that. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an insight to what political systems were in place mm -hmm. to make such a humanitarian crisis happen. Yes. This was a mass extinction. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about the way that Amy writes is that she, she's focusing on this women's story and how they get to really desperate decision-making like, who's going to survive? It's the survival of the fittest. Yeah. It becomes brutal, ruthless. But you understand why when you see the decision-makers with their complete defacement of the situation, the way that, you know, whenever you look at articles from the 1800s and you look at the drawings, it was the first social media, essentially, they drew Irish people you know, very derogatory pictures, like yeah. lazy, drunks, distorted looking. Yeah. And that's not the reality. So what yeah. I've tried to do as a director is I've put all these decision makers 
literally in a trolley, mm. which was going to be decoupage with all the policies and things on it. And I also printed a lot of things on fabric. So like Trevelyan, for instance, you see his face. I'm like, this is the face behind that racist man that made those decisions. Yeah. His policies were so detrimental. Let's put a face to it. Yes. So it becomes real. It's not like boring history in a book. It's This was a puritanical guy yeah. with this nonsensical idea that people are expendable. And it just gives you all of those extra things that have been completely taken out of the history books. Yeah. And there is a way of even teaching children about these kind of things that is palatable. Like, I've been doing workshops. I did a workshop in the Four Mile House where Dennis Mahan was assassinated, not far from there. Mm -hmm. And I was working with young children doing workshops, and we reenacted mm -hmm. the story of Daniel Tai. Mm -hmm. And we did some filming that's going to be included in our Roscommon show. Mm -hmm. And it was really moving to me to watch these children because they dressed up in the costume. And we got aerial footage of them from outside the gates of Strokestown Park. And they were looking through the gates, looking up at the big house. And they'd never seen anything so big before. And their, their eyes and their expression and all of this, it was a drama exercise, but it sunk home to me that a third of people on these ships were children. Yeah. And like another thing that came out of an archive document we saw was the ones that survived the ships were often their names published in the lists. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I saw... I can't remember what Quebec article did this, but um, they had the list of the, the names and then the ages next to them. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So there's a lot that drives us to do this and it's meaningful to all of us for different reasons. Yeah. But I think that what's important for audiences to know is that we're trying the best we can to be respectful with what we're presenting and we, we're very aware of the responsibility of that mm -hmm. but it's also I think it's very meaningful that we have actors from all around Ireland we have an actor from up north playing yeah. the assassin mm -hmm. and we also have very local actors one of the children is actually from Craigor village oh, where okay. the whole thing so yeah it's a really interesting combination yeah. and and we hope the audiences will be able to connect mm -hmm. and get some of their own meaning and hopefully their own little pocket of healing in that. Yeah. Well, one of the decisions I think you made as director that I absolutely loved was the incorporation of the archival material into the costuming, into the set design. And it really is, it's like you're, you're building a story with the records, you know, kind of you're showing how how true it is. Like it, this is an authentic message and, and you're literally like displaying the facts within your questioning. Yeah. Um, was that just an obvious move for you or, or what was your reasoning behind it? Well, when I'm trying to create theatre, I have to imagine it. Mm -hmm. And if I imagine it, then it means I have to know a lot about it. Like, I need to research, and I ex mm -hmm. research extensively, but, like, I wanted to, to actually look at the documents. I've worked in the National Famine Museum because when I was setting up Enchanted Cree, I was working here part-time while setting up the theatre company. Oh, wow. So I had some really unusual experiences. Mm -hmm. Once, when we were moving the museum pieces around, I was given the job to hold the shoes, the shoes that are... They made replicas of those yeah. shoes for the famine walk, the 33 pairs of shoes that are from here. They cast them in bronze, didn't they? Yeah. They're on points throughout the wall. And it, yeah, and it was my job to hold them. Of course it would be my job, because, you know, it's like... <laughs> as a theatre maker, we are always put in these very unusual situations. When I held those shoes, like a chill went through my body because when I turned them over, 
they're bound in a very specific way and the, they're almost laced together in a certain kind of weave, which, you know, when we've experienced losses in our life, we have to put away our loved one's things. Mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, I know that that was found in a house and they said that the, it was considered to be good luck or something, but mm -hmm. my sense was that this actually was, you lose a very significant person or this case it was a child and they had to bind them in a way and put them up, put them away yeah. and that for me that was one of the first points that inspired me to think of that yeah. and I was like I don't want this to look like a typical famine play mm -hmm. where you see Irish people in rags I don't want to see Irish people in rags because that wasn't the reality the yeah. reality was before the famine there was a thriving industry here. There were industries, basket yeah. making, there was the linen industry. Yeah. And so each of these women, even though they are poor, I wanted them to look beautiful yeah. and I wanted them to be individuals. Yeah. So each woman is like represented by a flower. There's an embroidery on their handmade aprons. So Guido Kilmartin has a forget-me-not. Um, Bridget has a thistle. And I'm about to cry myself, sorry. But also... Um, yeah, so also the young one, she has a snowdrop. And I think that it's the perfect one for her because she's very innocent. Yeah. And we don't know if she's... We don't know where she's going, you know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I've done yeah. so much research that this yeah. is, is kind of like... It can get emotional sometimes. But, um, but there's, there's also things like the assassin has a gun that is made out of very primitive wood. Mm. And what I'm trying to say by that is we're not trying to turn it into a film where there's gun kind of shot. This is not what it is. Mm -hmm. Because out of the barrel of the gun, we see the Clooney petition. And that's meant to be. This, with these primitive tools, they have nothing, absolutely nothing. But this is the weapon. Yeah. And yes, it was acted out by Andrew Connor, allegedly. Mm -hmm. And that was brave of him. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. these details that are all there as a way to anchor the piece into the real history. So yeah. wherever I could pull the archive into, I've tried to, in a, a decent way, like the widow Kilmartin has her petition sewn into her clothes. Yeah. So you see that when she's singing Your Mercy, Bridget's actually writing on her shawl. Let your mercy be shown forth to me In this, my pitiful, this, my pitiful I love when you make something that, that is just something on a piece of paper and you, you kind of you're able to make it alive in that sense. And it's like what how can we deal with this? Like we have to do, deal with it in, in terms of us being artists. We're not historians, mm -hmm. we're really not. But we are trying to connect to the human story and the emotions and the loss and all of this. We have to somehow interpret it. Yeah. So an audience can watch it. Like I think if I've got people in the audience that can't hear, what are they seeing? Do they still get the story? If I've got people in the audience that can't see, what are they still getting? Like, and also, what, what if you're someone that doesn't really connect so much to words mm -hmm. and you need to read the, the actual picture? Like, after Dennis Mahan is assassinated, his wife comes out with his waistcoat, which is made of the petitions for food of the people. Yeah. So the wax seals on the petitions become like the bullet wounds of from the shots. That's incredible. And so visual. Yeah, yes. that's what I wanted to do because mm. it's really complex. All of this mm. stuff is complex. So for me, it's still in development. I still haven't been able to do 
everything that I want to do visually. Yeah. Like, I'm really interested in, in shadow theatre and shadow art. And I especially for this subject matter, because a lot remains in the shadows. Absolutely. And there's so many, like, things that just disappeared. It just so happens that there were 55,000 documents in this house that, un- that were unearthed. Otherwise, what, what would he have? Yeah. Because this is one of the largest archives. So we have to do some active imaginings, but you can piece things together. Absolutely. I think that's important for us to do within the realms of art without us pretending to be historians because we're clearly not like I've asked a lot of advice from obviously I live here mm. behind the National Famine Museum so I, I have access to historians and you know I'm very interested in history mm. you know I've seen a lot of things that are very real about this so I, I know the Strokestown Park house I know what it's like to walk I performed in that house yeah. so I know how they would have walked in the house I know how vast it was I've walked through the servants' tunnels. Yeah. I've spent hours in the walled garden, and I know what they look like, you know. And I and that is a very important thing when you're creating something. You need to have a connection. Yeah. And a tactile one too. Well, I do anyway. So, so that's been the journey really. And it's the other part of this is choosing the right actors for the right roles and mm-hmm. making sure that we have the right combinations and dynamics of actor and we have a really interesting dynamic like we have some very actor actors mm-hmm. you know traditional and then we've got singers mm-hmm. that also act and then you've got musical theater yeah. actors yeah. so it's an interesting combination in that too and then we've also got musicians that come on and act yeah and then you were saying how their process is very collaborative and i can imagine that that ties in as well with what you're doing you're translating it for an audience, yeah. you know, kind of from the page um, to the, the stage. stage. Yeah. And I will ask one last question if that's okay. Yeah. Sorry, I suppose I'm quite interested in how you two kind of connected and came to work on the project together because obviously it's a, it's a woman-led play by a woman-led production company and giving voice to the silence of women is obviously key. And was that, like, did you know each other beforehand or is it just... It's a, it's a, it's a fu- this is a very funny story, by the way. It's just a funny story. Uh, so I was finishing, you know, writing kind of the first draft of the show, and I was getting to the point where it was ready to sort of be externalized and see whether, um, you know, the show could, could come to life. Mm-hmm. And I was following everything online that was related to Strokestown, the Strokestown story, and, and related historical groups and things like that. So I was following Anne-Marie's theater company, mm-hmm. and she posted a digital theater piece that she had done. This was during the pandemic. So um, you know, during the pandemic, her, her company started to focus on digital theater, which, is, which was one adaptation that a lot of theater groups were making during that time. So she posted a digital theater piece called Love and War in the Big House. So it's set here in Strokestown during the, the, the World War I period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about the same family that I was writing about. So I was like, no way. okay, there's a theater maker at Strokestown who's you know, already working on, you know, so uh, what are the odds, right? So I reached out to Anna Marie and I told her that I was writing a musical set during the famine at Strokestown. And related to your question earlier, which is like, what do people think when you say you're writing a famine musical? She thought I was joking. <laughs> I really so did. Really? She, thought I was, she thought I was one of her friends making that up just yeah. to mess with her. I'm sorry, but Amy Day. Amy Day, that's such a made-up name, you know? Like, and the kind of friends I have, I was like, that she's not real. And then she was like, just listen to the music, you know? And I was like, oh, maybe she is real. Because, like, if you've worked in the arts for years, I'm sorry, but you do come across all kinds of things. And so I was like, ah, oh, she can't be real. 
Yes. Yeah, so, a famine musical? So can't be right. Anne Marie believed that I was real. Yeah, once she I believed she was real. Then she said that she was interested in working on the piece, and but what she said was, it's just a matter of finding the funding. So to my American ears, that meant, uh, no, I'll see you never, right? Like, no, there's yeah. no such thing as finding funding. But because Anne Marie lives in a place that's actually supportive of the arts, mm -hmm. within a couple of months, she applied for a grant through the Roscommon County Council and got it, mm -hmm. right? Because so she had established all this work that she had done here already, and mm -hmm. so the Roscommon County Council was willing to fund her project here. Mm -hmm. And so then it came to life, and mm -hmm. um, so Anne Marie was generous enough to you know, open up her home to me. I stayed with her for the whole month of June last year. I'm living with her again now. And, um, and know, ten other just... cast members all together. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really are a family. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible, yeah. um, and I love that you guys kind of have managed to get the support and the funding from, from people to be able to put this on, and I think it shows the positivity, I suppose, around a work like this, and, and that you know these voices want to be heard as well as they need to be heard. And dedication, we are dedicated to it. Yes. I mean, it's like, we, we began it, and once we began it, it's kind of, it has its own propelling force. Mm. So it feels more like how can we not do it rather than the other way around? So it, it yeah. has to happen. Yeah. Like, and in terms of, I work in the schools doing theatre. I work creating theatre in the communities. I'm doing all of that. Mm -hmm. I am in the community. Yeah. And I'm also between the two worlds. Yeah. You know, like, and I know this has to happen. Mm -hmm. And if even in 2023, that this is a no-go area for me to take it into a class of nine-year-olds or that people are very wary I understand that, but I do think that this musical is a way that everyone that mm. hasn't really been given a chance to learn their own history, yeah. it's a really gentle way mm -hmm. of learning it without having to be falling down the rabbit holes that we fall down in terms of research. Yeah. Like, you, you get, you'll get the point. And even the nine-year-olds I worked with and I explained the situation to them, they got it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have to go into the horrible trauma mm -hmm. and the ugly, awful things, you know, but they understood yeah. their own history. And that was really important. Yeah. So I think a lot of young people can come and see this mm -hmm. and they would go away and go, oh, we understand. Because if this was the first assassination of a landlord, mm -hmm. this was where it began. Yeah. And this same story, you just need to zoom out and you see yeah. the same thing. It's like seeing a giant patchwork quilt and you go, oh, look, there's another landlord's house and another one. Oh, look, they're <laughs> spread across the country. So are the workhouses, so are the guarded food, yeah. um, you know, all the of this. The whole narrative. Yeah, yeah everything. It's, it's so. I just loved sitting down with Anne-Marie and going through her decisions around the yeah. production and the set. And one of my favourite things, just hands down, was how she incorporated the actual archival records and material mm. into the set design. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating what she's done and the decisions that the whole team has made because obviously we as historians and family historians, we'll sit there and read through the documents for hours and we can maybe pick something out of it and go, oh wow, look at the size of the field, that's so significant. But for a wider audience, to see it in a way that's really poignant. Like for example, the, the bullets made out of the wax seals. Like, I that loved is, that. that. Oh my so God, cool. it's amazing. And, and things like that where if you see something and then you have the context of the play in the background and it's your head, you mm. realize it in your own head. Oh my God. It makes it visceral. Totally, and you'll go, whoa, these, this is why these documents are so important and this yeah. is the meaning of it. I think it's amazing the choices they made. Absolutely, and I think that what was really cool was 
how they're kind of doing what we do, where yeah. we're illustrating the context mm. and giving the human stories of the big moments in history. Yeah. So, you know, when you guys are doing consultations, you bring it down to that human level. You say, this means this. Yeah. Though this record means that they were you know homeless or this record means mm -hmm. they applied for relief and you're yeah. painting that picture and that's really what they're doing with the set design with the words and the story itself and I just thought it was incredible and maybe I'm seeing overlap because I'm just like really into what they're doing and I'm excited <laughs> about it but yeah I thought it was incredible yeah I completely agree I think it's so special what they've done and also if you want to know about the experience of your own famine ancestors and you go and see let's say a big production that you know it's all about the courts and the decision making by the governments and it's all this kind of stuff and there's no personal stories of the people on the ground you'll get the concept but you're not going to emote you're not going to feel mm. connected to the characters but if you see a woman crying because her husband has died and she's had to bury him oh like you know, instantly you're going to connect to that character. Absolutely. And another thing she was saying about the costuming mm. was that they've assigned a flower to each of the women's oh, costumes. Yes. Because she doesn't want to see Irish in rags, you know, because there would people. have been a pride and it's something that they could have done and yeah. they would have access yeah. Yeah. to wool and, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, like, they would have had a rich culture and all that and the famine didn't destroy everything. Yeah, yeah. It really hurt them and yeah. it was a significant trauma but they you know they still had pride they still had kind of and sometimes that kind of trauma or that major event can make you hone in mm. on certain things yeah. mm. I'm sure everyone found during the pandemic and I know it's not the same thing but values and mm -hmm. what you consider important yes are yes. very much highlighted yeah. it brings you back to what is essential yes but when she said that the widow had a forget-me-not, like, oh, so I was just like, I am going to cry here I talking to you. And you could really get that sense of how yeah. much she cared. Yeah. And yeah. That we got that across the whole cast. Oh, right? the whole cast. Amy and Marie. It was extraordinary. It was amazing. Sitting there listening to them yeah. Yeah. talk. And as they were saying, the fact that they were living together. Yeah. Yeah. On site. Yeah. As I said, like being in something like that is an emotional experience. And you know, I just wanted to say about the costume, something that I think is important to not forget. Before the famine, like you said, Fiona, there was a huge linen, you know, trade in Ireland and clothes are really important and clothes lasted a long time and things are really well made and there was a huge um cottage industry led by women exactly yes. mm. exactly so people had clothes mm -hmm. you know obviously depending on your level of wealth like of course it differed but yeah. most people had at least one outfit like one solid outfit and i heard a fantastic story about a young woman who went to the workhouse during the time of the famine i think it was maybe a year or two after kind of the worst of it but mm -hmm. she was left alone she was the only one left in her family and she had to change out of the only outfit that she owned because she'd kept it well by literally just mm. wearing it and keeping it as well as she could. Yeah, right, and right. she had to change into rags because she was worried that she would look like... They wouldn't like think she, that yeah, she was mm. jewelry Suffering enough, yeah. And it was just heartbreaking because like the whole point of the story was it doesn't matter that these are my clothes. Yeah. You know, this is not a country that has been going downhill you yeah, know, and this was inevitable. It was a catastrophe. It was a disaster, mm. and I thought that was just a really 
fascinating story because of course like everyone yeah. when you think of the famine you think of the paintings you see the people in the rags and the bare feet and of course that happened yeah but that's not what people were like at the start exactly and i think another thing she touches on as well and it's so related to this point is she talks about the punch cartoons you know yes where they were depicting <sighs> irish people in a very specific way with a very specific agenda yeah and they didn't want people to think these people are vibrant and cultured and, no. and you know kind of proud they wanted them to think well they're already in rags exactly this is just inevitable yeah. they're wasters they don't work this is yeah. well, they were lazy yeah. yeah exactly it's, what, it's like what um, Trevelyan said you know he specifically believed that yeah. this was God's right on. vengeance mm. on the lazy papists yeah. yeah and when she said that she's like superimposed his face onto yes. the part of the set to be like this is the man yeah. who said those horrible things yeah. and, like accountability is there I think yeah. that's something that's been massively missing in the narrative is yeah real accountability for people did this to people yeah you know yeah. this wasn't some act of god yeah and know? it was also like unfortunately like so much of what you see today it wasn't evil the devil didn't crawl out of the ground and do yeah. this it was political like it was yeah. all political and it was a horrible horrible political mm. agenda you know of course and these people had like terrible morals when it came to this stuff but at the same time yeah. the reason that these decisions were made they were political they were religious they were for money they were for trade there was also carelessness oh, oh of course there was of course there was but the background i think to the famine yeah. can sometimes be lost a little bit yeah and yeah. it can be just washed away in like obviously the potato blight mm. and you know the main story disappears which also the relevance like yeah talking about a mixture of ignorance incompetence and just uh, incompetence is definitely a massive part of it. Yeah, but look at the world today. Yeah, you yeah. know, I yeah. think that that's a story that repeats. I think it was, you know, really special what Amy yeah, wrote. Yeah, where she was talking about people now, if they can relate so strongly to the story and they can be really upset and they can feel real compassion for the people in the story because they're seeing themselves and their own families in it. Mm. Like, just look out a little bit more. Yeah. Just extend your community outside your family and look at your neighbours and say, okay, well, we might not speak the same language or we might not look the same, mm -hmm. but this story is like holding up a mirror to your story. Yeah. And I should be able to feel compassion for you because mm. you are having the experience that my ancestors had. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. it was just amazing how Amy really had that knowledge going into it she treated it so gently you know mm. by writing this stuff and she didn't push it in people's faces she said that they had got some criticism for not showing the worst yeah but that was a conscious decision yeah. not to show the and worst and i think that Anne marie says that as well so yeah. i think it was definitely a combined kind of decision so. exactly yeah. exactly there might be some criticism yeah but i think on the whole like people are ready and wanting to hear this yeah. story they are on nationwide tour at the moment. Absolutely go check them out. www.inthemidstofplenty.com They've got dates, tickets, locations. All and get of it. your tickets soon. They were sold out Longford. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So Links are all on the webpage so you don't yes. need to go through any third party. Just go straight to their website. They'll send you to the places where there still are tickets available and we really highly recommend if you can go and see this show absolutely it's incredible and you know like some of the members of the band said you might not know the story of your own famine ancestors if you're an irish person but you'll be able to connect to this story yeah. and i think you'll be totally moved. it's universal it's yeah. totally universal it's an example of what was happening across the country yeah because this yes. was how the country was structured at the time exactly. so this was literally playing out everywhere yeah. all over ireland yeah and yeah just bringing that human element to it just expands it open makes it universal and 
we can only encourage you, you know, to go. Yeah, it was, please it was... check it out while you still can. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we've heard your comments about getting them to bring it to America. And yes. we have mentioned Relayed it to them. them. <laughs> and they're considering it. So, yeah, check out the website. And we will catch you on the next podcast. Yes, thank you so much. Bye. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye.